The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi there and welcome to Out of Office. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today. He's the author of a terrific new book called Amazon Unbound. He's also my colleague at Bloomberg News, where he's the global technology editor. Almost 10 years ago, Brad wrote his first book on Amazon, The Everything Store went on to become a bestseller. He's back with a sequel, and in this podcast, he explains why. And I realized that the Amazon story had changed so dramatically. Um, the Kindle company had become the Alexa company. The $80 billion company was an $800 billion company on its way to a trillion dollar market cap. The marketplace was global. And Jeff Bezos had become this global figure. But if I was going to continue to you know, be the historian of this company that has changed the world, it needed another chapter. As always, Out of Office brings you the backstory. So I had a very open, candid chat with Brad. I asked him whether the pandemic made it easier or harder to work on a book. It made it easier in, in a way that I'm almost sheepish about because the, the pandemic and the quarantine was so hard for so many people and there was so much tragedy around the world. But I had planned a 2020 where I was on the plane a lot, going to Seattle to research my book and, and writing from hotel rooms and trying to get to the office and bring my kids to school while I wrote a draft and made my deadline. And none of that happened. The quarantine, it ended up being productive in, in that way. What, if anything, surprised him about Amazon, a company he obviously knows really well? Turns out there were quite a few things. When I was researching this book, when I was working on it, HQ2 happened. Bezos's divorce and battle with the National Enquirer happened. There was a, a, a House of Representatives investigation into antitrust and Bezos was on the stand. And then the pandemic happened. And Amazon alone was in the spotlight as it was a lifeline for people around the world and navigated this crisis while putting some, some of its employees at risk. All of those. Oh, and then by the way, the last thing is that as I'm finishing the book, Bezos announces that he's resigning as CEO. What he would ask Bezos if he got him to sit down for an interview. He's careful about who he talks to. Yeah. And he doesn't really reflect about the contentious periods in Amazon history, the controversy. And why with this book, he achieved a really important personal goal. He gifted it to his grandmother. I saw her this weekend. Um, I was able to go into her room in the senior home for the first time in a year and a half. The book was on her on her bed. There's coffee stains all over it. So I know she has um, engaged with the book. She didn't remember whether she had read it and started over or had only gotten halfway through. So she is an avid reader. Her short-term memory recollection is not the best, but um, I delivered it to her. She's reading it and, you know, she's 103 and you can't ask for anything more than that. Here's my conversation with author and journalist, my colleague, Brad Stone, who joined me from his very impressive looking garage come home office. 
So Brad, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you, Malika. So Brad, you wrote your first book also on Amazon about 10 years ago. It was a bestseller. It did really well. What made you want to write another book on Amazon and why now? You know, it was it was a couple of years after the Everything Store came out. And I, I had just finished another book about Uber and Airbnb called The Upstarts. And I was thinking about what was next. And I realized that the Amazon story had changed so dramatically. Um, the Kindle company had become the Alexa company. The $80 billion company was an $800 billion company on its way to a trillion-dollar market cap. The marketplace was global. And Jeff Bezos had become this global figure. You know, he wasn't just the, the tech geek from Seattle, but he was on the world stage. He owned the Washington Post. He was battling with Donald Trump. Um, he was initiating the, the, second, the, the search for a second Amazon headquarters. And the story had changed. And I was really proud of the Everything Store. And, and I felt like it was the definitive history of early Amazon. But if I was going to continue to you know, be the historian of this company that has changed the world, it needed another chapter. Yeah, because Amazon had just changed too much, right? It was a different company. It was, it was yeah. a global company. It was the, the, the first title I had for Amazon Unbound was The Everything Company. So it was, really, it was really just the sequel. And how do I continue and extend the story? And you wrote this, much of this, during the pandemic. What was that like? Did it make it easier or harder since you were in various stages of lo lockdown, right? It made it easier in, in a way that I'm almost sheepish about because the, the pandemic and the quarantine was so hard for so many people. and There was so much tragedy around the world. But I had planned a 2020 where I was on the plane a lot, going to Seattle to research my book and, and writing from hotel rooms and trying to get to the office and bring my kids to school while I wrote a draft and made my deadline. And none of that happened. I'm talking to you right now from the garage of my home, which I turned into an office. This was where I wrote the book. This is where I'm promoting the book. And a lot of the obligations that I might have had disappeared. And, and I also didn't have the fear of missing out, the fear of being in an office and feeling like the world is, is going on around you as you are concentrating on a project. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, everybody was spending that time at home. So the quarantine, it ended up being productive in, in that way. That's a very impressive garage conversion, by the way. If I were to turn my computer around, you would see the bikes hanging from the ceiling, all sorts of storage. So when you were working from your garage and you were talking to sources and doing your interviews, did it make it easier just because people weren't traveling and they were more available and ready to talk? I mean, in that respect, it, it was probably a little more difficult. Sitting down with somebody over a coffee um, across the table, you can be, you know, you can create more of a personal connection. You know, you hope in any interview to get people to lower their guard and to talk to you as a person. And I think, look, Zoom makes that very difficult. We're all performing for the for the camera. And so in that respect, it was a little bit more difficult. But in terms of time savings, it was it was certainly an improvement. How much did Amazon cooperate with you for this book? Amazon cooperated quite a bit. I, I think that they now realize that a company with one and a half trillion dollars of market cap that is making an impact um, on our global economy, on local economies, that is now the second largest employer in the United States, can no longer hide in plain sight, that they have to engage um, with critics and even with journalists who are interested in 
and, te- and earnestly telling their story. And so they allowed me to talk to a dozen members of the Amazon leadership team, essentially anybody who I wanted to talk to, except for Bezos, who decided that he didn't want to talk eventually. Um, but he allowed me to talk to his personal friends. And I, I felt like I got all the cooperation that I needed. And they, um, they, uh, they went through a very um, detailed fact-checking with me. And we argued mm-hmm. over many things, and in some ways was a more productive collaboration than on uh, the Everything Store. Now, your critics say, well, this is an excellent book about Amazon. It's an even better book as a biography of Jeff Bezos. But as you said, you know, he didn't talk to you. Did he give any reasons why? Yes, um, he did. But but first, I want to say that I didn't I didn't really expect that he would talk. He has given very few interviews about Amazon over the past few years. He, he doesn't need to sit down with the press and answer tough questions about Amazon's relationship with its workers or uh, the way in which sellers are exploiting a global marketplace. When he does do, when he has done onstage interviews for the past few years, it's always been with a friendly questioner, a fellow billionaire, an Amazon employee, his brother. He's careful about who he talks to. And he doesn't really reflect about the contentious periods in Amazon history, the controversies. I would be asking him about unionization (laughs) or, you know, or ergonomic injuries in Amazon's warehouses. You know, to answer your specific question, in 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 the Everything Store, I found his biological father, who he hadn't known since he was a very young child. And, um, you know, I'll just say, like, the family didn't appreciate the way that I had handled that. And I guess to some extent, he still holds a little bit of a grudge about that. And so that was another reason why he didn't talk to me. Well, after the first book, there was also that now famous slash infamous review from his now ex-wife, right? Right. Mackenzie Bezos, yep, gave me a one-star review, as did Andy Jassy, the, the, the future CEO of Amazon. Well, as a journalist, it's almost a feather in your cap. I mean, you obviously did something that got to them, right? Yes. Yeah, no, it is a badge of honor these days, even though in the, in the moment it was uh, difficult. Was it difficult? In the moment, yes. Uh, when any powerful company or CEO is publicly attacking you, it, it's uncomfortable. Uh, for sure. Um, and, and very quickly, I saw that it helped book sales. But but that was one reason why I, I thought with this book, in the detailed fact checking that I did, I decided if we're going to fight, I want it to be before the book comes out and not after. And and at the time, they were they were handling the book differently. They were they weren't cooperating as much. It was a bit of a more contentious relationship the first time around. If Bezos were to speak to you, if he did grant you a one on one, what would you talk to him about? What's top of your list? Well, I think that what's interesting now is he's giving up the CEO spot. He's yeah. transitioning uh, his career and his life. And, you know, you'd want to talk about that change, where he's going to spend most of his time, the distribution of his time from with philanthropy and Amazon and space and the Washington Post. That's of critical interest to everyone who works for all of his companies and, and frankly, for society. How will he be spending a $200 billion fortune? How hands-on will he be in, in trying to solve the problem of climate change? Um, and then I would ask him a little bit about his legacy at Amazon, and uh, not just the things that he's proud of, but maybe the things that he would 
he wished that he had done differently. That the relationship that he's built with employees in the fulfillment centers and even in Amazon's white collar offices, how often Amazon is seen as a cruel employer or a challenging employer. You know, I want to ask him about some of the reasons and some of the allergies to unions and, and what he could have done differently there. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know this company so well. Two books on this on this one company. While researching and writing your second book, is there anything that surprised you? Oh, well, I think it all surprised me. I mean, I guess, look, when I was researching this book, when I was working on it, HQ2 happened. Bezos' divorce and battle with the National Enquirer happened. There was a, ha- a House of Representatives investigation into antitrust, and Bezos was on the stand. And then the pandemic happened, and Amazon alone was in the spotlight as it was a lifeline for people around the world and navigated this crisis while putting some, some of its employees at risk. All of those. Oh, and then by the way, the last thing is that as I'm finishing the book, Bezos announces that he's resigning as CEO. All of these things, I mean, the divorce, the medium post where he he says that the National Enquirer is extorting him with explicit photographs. I, my jaw hit the floor over and over and over again. So that is what makes the Amazon story so interesting. There were so many surprises. It, it's really impossible to pick just one. Now, Brad, you're the author of this amazing book. You're also the managing editor for technology for Bloomberg News. You're my colleague there. How do you you manage both roles and how do you manage your still? You're promoting your book. You're working on various aspects of your book and you're this tech editor with a massive team around the world. I bug you work-wise very often. How do you manage both roles? Well, not perfectly. As as you know, I was late to this meeting, uh, this talk. So I'm, I'm perpetually a little bit behind. And, but I'm, I'm lucky that I've got great people on the Bloomberg tech team. We've got 65 technology journalists and editors around the world, including two excellent Amazon reporters, Spencer Soper and Matt Day, and their editor, Robin Agello, who are like sounding boards for every big idea that is in the book. And so I just have a lot of resources at Bloomberg and, and great colleagues. And to the extent that my attention drifted away, as it really did for periods while I was focusing on the book, I had plenty of backup, and I wouldn't have been able to do to to do this book without that. What sparked your interest in technology? It was really opportunistic. So back in the in the nineties, and I'm dating myself right now, but I was <laughs> I was working at Newsweek magazine, and it was a very competitive environment. Just getting stories in the magazine, but the internet was new, and Silicon Valley was this was a, a you know drawing attention as a new business community. And because I was, at the time, fresh out of college and was familiar with the internet and excited about it, 
it was an avenue of of getting stories into the magazine. And ultimately, I moved to San Francisco to cover Silicon Valley. And it was it was an avenue for me at a time when I really didn't know what my area of expertise was. I was an English major in college. So really, it was it was the combination of personal interest in the internet and having experience with it during college. And at a moment when the mainstream media didn't understand it as well, but there was a lot of interest in it and stories about it were were really welcome. So I was curious about that, whether you ended up in your current role more out of an interest in technology or more because you always wanted to be a journalist. I think it was at the beginning. Well, I think it was both. And and I mean, the 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 fortunate thing for me is that I always found it super interesting. And I, and I feel like it's one of the biggest stories of our time that when we're looking back at the at the defining stories of of our lives, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden and and you know, political administrations come and go. But you look back and the things that are really meaningful and that will define our lives are the technological changes. You know, the the emergence of the smartphone, the founding of Facebook, you know, a- Amazon and 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 getting things delivered the next day after you buy them online. Um, voice activated speakers. These are things that are just making permanent changes in our lives. When I grew up, when I was really young, we had a rotary phone and five TV channels. <laughs> and in the span of our lives, we've got we've got smartphones that have more computing power than the space shuttle did, and uh, and endless entertainment options, all within a click of the remote control, and computers that we can talk to. Um, and so these are uh, to me, it's just a, a great story. Absolutely. Now, speaking of technology and changes, we've seen technology take another leap during the pandemic. Our lives have changed so much and we rely on technology now more than we ever did before. What what do you think is going to be the biggest and the most lasting change induced by technology as a result of the pandemic that's here to stay? I think our, our flexibility and familiarity and comfort level with working from home arrangements is is here yeah. to stay. I, I don't know that it really replaces the office environment, but I, I don't know of anyone or any company who hasn't now conceded that we can get as much done with a flexible work from home arrangement than enforcing, you know, full occupation of offices. And, you know, and that could be great. That could be great for commuting times and pollution and for productivity. And we're gonna have to create some new norms around it. I mean, the risk is that you end up working you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're never really off. But I, I think that's here to stay. Um, and then some of the advancements that the healthcare industry has made with, um, you know, smartphone notifications and um, it, what you really hope, and, and maybe this is just optimistic, is that this is, we, we, now, we now institute a pandemic prevention plan that is global mm-hmm. and swift. And that's going to take a lot of investment and conviction from world governments. Um, I hope that that is what emerges from this, but um, that's still a big bet. And we we're, we don't know for sure that everyone has quite learned the lesson. One of your personal goals, you say, uh, writing this book was to give it to your 103-year-old grandma, who's still an avid reader. I saw her this weekend. Um, I was able to go into her room in the senior home for the first time in a year and a half. The book was on her on her bed. There's coffee stains all over it. So I know she has um, engaged with the book. She didn't remember whether she had read it 
and started over or had only gotten halfway through. So she is an avid reader. Her short-term memory recollection is not the best, but um, I delivered it to her. She's reading it and, you know, she's 103 and you can't ask for anything more than that. No, you can't. Absolutely. What, what a gift to be able to gift it to her, right? Yeah, no, it's a thrill. And my last question is, you know, there is a big debate. It's been around for a while, whether Amazon is a gift to society or the great evil of our times. I'm going to put you in a difficult position. Do you have a view? Yes. Well, the, the view is that it's impossible to answer, um, that Amazon is, is here to stay. It's a fact of life. If we removed it from our world altogether, you would probably have a number of companies offering versions of the same services and nothing would significantly be different. But I'll say, I'll say a, a, this another way, which is that for consumers, for houses, for households, for my own family, Amazon is a gift, right? I, I believe, I feel like it's given us a level of convenience. It's removed necessary trips to stores and hunting for items that you might need. Um, the, the voice-activated speakers are a novelty and fun. The Kindle has brought, has enrichced my yeah. life. Um, in, in a lot of, and then of course, all the streaming stuff and Amazon web services, the cloud is, has made the internet probably more powerful. So from a personal and a customer perspective, the answer is it's, it's been enriching. And then from a society perspective, as an employer, as a company that's um, lowering uh, prices, and, and it's a lot of the same dynamic as, as Walmart created, putting pressure on small mom and pop businesses you know, creating a difficult form of employment and somewhat invisible form of employment in warehouses. I think there's still some questions there that need to be addressed. Amazon could be a better a, a force for more positivity in society. And that and that's why it's up to journalists and regulators and lawmakers and critics to keep forcing Amazon to improve its its corporate conduct and its role as a as a corporate citizen. Like you said, I don't think Amazon's going anywhere, so maybe there'll be a book three. <laughs> yeah, not for a long time. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for speaking to me on Out of Office. Okay, thanks, Malika. That was my conversation with Brad Stone, author of Amazon Unbound. Do read it. It gives you a really interesting insight into Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And do reach out to us with questions or comments. We're on Twitter. Our handles are at Bradstone and at This Is Malika. Remember, Out of Office is on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. We'll be back in two weeks. Till then, stay well, everyone. And thank you for listening. Countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.